When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Baby fish mouth, I'll have what she's having, the wagon wheel coffee table, and the elaborate apple pie order that has inspired thousands of elaborate apple pie orders in diners and restaurants everywhere. In the 30 plus years since this 80s flick was released, nearly every scene has become iconic and the stuff of rom-com legend. So in honor of Valentine's Day, cuddle up with the one you love and join Bethany Wells and I as we discuss When Harry Met Sally from 1989 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback. Men and women can't be friends because no man can be friends with a woman that he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So you're saying that a man can be friends with a woman he finds unattractive? No, you pretty much want to nail him too. Great. No, I don't like to eat between meals. I'll roll down the window. I need to talk. What happened? What's the matter? Harry came over last night. I went over to Sally's last night. Because I was upset that Joe was getting married. One thing led to another. And before I knew it, we were kissing, and then... To make a long story short, we we did did it. it. They did it. The challenge. I'm difficult. I'm too structured. I'm completely closed off. But in a good way. In eight years. It's not the same for men. Charlie Chaplin had babies when he was 73. Yeah, but he was too old to pick them up. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and welcome to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Here we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And go ahead and check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com, for more great 80s content. Now, let's jump right into this episode. Thanks for listening. You're trying to hold your lap very much here. <laughs> I love baby fish mouth. Yes, yes. Well, welcome in, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback. I'm glad to have everybody here for this uh, very special Valentine's Day episode uh, where two married people who are not married to each other are going to talk about a romantic comedy. <laughs> <laughs> 
but a co-host that needs no introduction because she's always a blast to have on the podcast. Please Aww. welcome Miss Bethany Wells. How you doing, Bethany? I'm just fine. How are you, Tim? I am good. I do. I am curious, and maybe we can discuss this later. What is your, uh, what are your feelings? I feel like everybody has an opinion on the idea that's brought up in When Harry Met Sally, that men and women cannot be friends because relationships get in the way. Um, I will say that I think my feelings have changed as I've gotten older. Yeah. I'm sure when I was a young person that saw this, I very much felt the way that Billy Crystal felt yeah. uh, <laughs> as I've gotten older. And now that I'm married, it's like you don't really think about that the same way. So it's not, you know, uh, it's it is different. Like, I don't I don't I think you can be. I don't think yeah. you, I don't think that gets in the way. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think when I before I had met Laramie, before I had been in a serious relationship where I'd found the person that, mm-hmm. you know, I actually do care the most about like right, right it seemed like any friendship I had with a guy I was kind of like well, maybe would I want mm-hmm. to well maybe yeah but I do think there's a caveat and granted we're also discussing this being two heterosexual people right who are interested in the opposite sex and I'm sure it gets a little different when you have other feelings Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't speak to that. Uh, right. Me either. Yeah. I guess, I guess my feelings, I, I agree with you. I feel like once mm-hmm. you find that person that you actually do really care about, mm-hmm. then those feelings for other people, it, it really is a friendship. It's just like, yeah, mm, yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm yeah. good. Now I will say, and we're 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 jumping deep. So if you've never okay. listened to the podcast before, we don't usually get this deep this early. We, this is usually like the second half. No, it's all good. Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal were asked that question, and of course, Meg Ryan was like, "Oh, I've got plenty of platonic friends. It's not a big deal." And Billy Crystal's response was, uh, "I have friends, but they're not really, really close friends." And he was like, "I can be friends with them." And I I get where he's coming from because at some point there is a Friendship, like even in this movie, we see their friendship. It's great, but it becomes intimate, and it's and that's right. one of the things I like about the movie because it shows a real relationship where they were friends first, and they the intimacy was was well established and grounded before it became as a relationship, which is why it made it so weird when it did because he was right. you know his whole line about all the stuff we we would talk about after you know we slept together. We've already had those conversations, so we don't know what to talk about. And I'm like, right. that, you know, so uh, so I will say that, like, I have female friends, but there's a certain line that I, just for my own sake, I there's a certain boundary. Like, you know, there's certain things I'm going to talk to my wife about that I'm not yeah. going to talk to other females about. And that's exactly. nothing, that's not to slight my friendship with them, but that's just a level of intimacy that I'm not going to cross as a man, as a married man, as a monogamous, you know, married yeah. man. Tim, I adore you. I don't want to hear about your bathroom habits. Talk yeah, to Tyra yeah. about it, please. Yeah. And she doesn't want to hear about them either, but but she'll listen. She'll, she'll listen. Yeah. <laughs> Our vows dictate that she has to. Yeah, no, I mean, I promise to discuss every time I go to the bathroom with you. No, please I don't, don't do that. I please <laughs> don't do that. But yeah, I I agree. And then I also kind of have this. I've, I told my sister about this years ago. I feel like the romantic movie that you find that you relate to the most. Mm-hmm. I think that says a lot about how you per- 
you uh, approach romantic relationships yes, in your real I'm, life. Absolutely, absolutely. I agree and with this that is one of my favorite mm-hmm. romantic movies. Yeah. And it is because they have this like chemistry and this bond mm-hmm. before any of the romantic stuff gets started. Right, right. They've. I love that they they genuinely care about each other and mm-hmm. their well being. Like that's part of why it was so heartbreaking towards the end was because they didn't just lose a romantic partner. They right. lost their best friend. Right. right, exactly. Yeah, like one of my favorite, I know we're, we're, we're all over the place, but so one of my favorite, it's okay. One of my favorite scenes is, you know, the wagon wheel coffee table where <laughs> they have the big argument outside mm-hmm. the apartment. And then, are you finished? Can I speak now? It's like, I'm sorry. And it's like, there's yeah. this, this intimate, you know, sincere moment. And I'm like, yes, that's... that's- Real that's life. A re- that's that's a relationship that I want to have, whether that's, it's platonic or, you know, a romantic relationship. That, that's the kind of relationship exactly. you want to have with someone. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and spoiler alert, you <laughs> jumped ahead because I've been trying to do better about thinking about what I'm going to say mm-hmm. for the podcast. And that was I was like, that's my favorite scene. When they're at each other's throats and mm-hmm. they they're best friends and so they know the worst about each other right and they know what to say to get under their friend's skin Mm -hmm. and they know when they've gone too far Mm -hmm. can i talk i'm so sorry right it's genuine it's just like i did i didn't mean that i'm so sorry Mm -hmm. and and then i promise i will never want that wagon wheel coffee (laughs) table All right, well, let's jump into this movie because we're okay, already there. We already here, and it. and I'm, I didn't get a chance to do my little my little uh, you know spoiler or not spoiler my uh, my PSA. So yes, okay. this is a uh, I would consider this a family friendly podcast. You know, it's not explicit, uh, but we are discussing a movie that does talk about relationships in some intimate ways, and there are some scenes that we may discuss that may be inappropriate for younger viewers. There will not it will not be profane in any way. Uh, but just giving you a heads up. So if there's little little ears nearby that you think this might be inappropriate, just we're giving you the giving you a heads up early. So, um, but let's jump in. So first of all, before we start, because I really thought about doing this. So I'm going to do the whole podcast with this voice. So repeat after me: Pepper, Bacon, pie, pepper. <laughs> waiter. There is too much pepper in my pepper gush. <laughs> there is too much pepper in my pepper gush. That's one of Laramie's favorite scenes. He wanted me to mention his two favorite scenes. That's one. Okay. Of them. Okay. Good. Well, we've we've hit favorite scenes early, so this might be a short podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but no, let's let's get back on track. So, when did you see when Harry met Sally for the very first time? When I was way too young. We discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> we discussed this before um, we started recording, but just that like movies we saw when we were young and mm-hmm. did not think twice about it. Right. And so we, I started to watch it with my eight-year-old. I was like, this is fine. I mean, <laughs> it's rated R. I think it came out before PG-13. Was no, it, rating? it did not. It did not? Okay. No, this, no, this was an 89. PG-13 so it, hit around it, 85. It earned its R rating, though. Yes, it did. <laughs> okay. So I was just, well, that was kind of part of my reasoning. I was like, well, maybe, I, I know they throw the F-bomb in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I've spoken with Ruby. We know not to repeat language. and Right, right. I don't know. It doesn't take too long for me to realize that I had made a big mistake and I asked her <laughs> to leave the room. <laughs> so I, I was younger. 
it, it's just a movie that I've watched with my mom forever. Mm-hmm. It's one of those romantic comedies that she loved. And so I got into it and now I mm-hmm. love it. Right, right. Which is a nice memory to have. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, obviously my mom's still here. So it's not like a <laughs> that kind of memory. I realized it right. came out weird. But um, yeah, she, you know, we've got a list of movies that she and I will watch and then like text each other quotes while we're watching them. Yes, we've discussed that previously. Yes. Uh, all the uh, good, great Still Magnolia quotes. So. Oh, yeah. I get those. I get uh, birdcage quotes. Right, right. <laughs> I just, out of nowhere, we'll get like, I cannot wear shoes because they make me fall down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, this is one of those movies where yeah. it's so quotable. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll send stuff to each other back and forth. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw this on VHS. I didn't see this in the theater. I saw it later, probably like probably within the within a year or two years, because I was a I was a fan of Billy Crystal. I love so Billy Crystal. yeah, so I knew it was one that I wanted to see. Um, but I I definitely watched it more once I got older. Like when I was in college, this was one of those movies. Just like it was one of my go to rom coms. And of course, I was in college during the '90s, so that was like the the rom-com heyday. I mean, you right. had multiple rom-coms every year, not just at Valentine's Day. I mean, that was, it was I mean, big Meg business. Ryan at that. was yeah. like, yeah, number yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about some of her, her other, her other uh, hits in the rom-com field uh, and talk about which ones we liked or more than others, but we'll get there. Um, so how long had it been since you watched it before watching it for the podcast? I mean, probably around a year or so i try to watch okay. it every now and then it's one of those that's in my regular rotation mm-hmm. sometimes it's just it's one of those movies i can have on in the background mm-hmm. because i always know what's going on and i'll just right, quote right. it and i'll leave the room and i'm still quoting it and i come back <laughs> in and i'm at the right spot mm-hmm. yeah when you've seen it enough times it doesn't you're not having to track along as much as someone who's not as familiar with it of course exactly yeah, it's been a while for me. When I think about my favorite rom- romantic comedies or romantic movies, period, it's it's in my top five, maybe even like top three. Um, and I think it it switches with another movie that came out the same year. Um, but we'll talk about that one another time. So you can, are you gonna try to guess what it is? Uh, no, <laughs> no. This one and say anything are my my top like a, my top two. Okay. So I'm yeah. and you know that those are very dear to me. And like when you talked about, you know, like seeing those at a young age, definitely yeah, formed like my, my thoughts on romance and building relationships. And I think honestly, I think those are two good movies to, to kind of model that after. Say anything's a little, I, I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes stalkery? it gets a little, <laughs> uh, yeah, I wasn't going to say stalkery. But now I didn't see say anything until I was much older. Okay, that was one of those movies for whatever. It just wasn't on my mom's rotation, mm-hmm. and I think because of the age she was when it came out, yeah, it just wasn't really something that appealed to her. Yeah. So I wasn't. I was. I think Laramie and I were dating when I saw it for the first oh, okay. time. Okay. Okay. Well, they're they're but, very different because you got one that's very high school, yes. you know, or you know, or young, very young adult. This is much older yeah. adult, so they're they're totally two different places emotionally exactly. and mentally so but yeah so it's been a while i remember like i remember when tyra and i first got married and i used we used to go to the library and rent movies back then 
they used to rent them on VHS, and I think at that point they were starting to get DVDs. And I remember they had the DVD for this. Like, ooh, I, I, I got to check it out. I really, really, really want to watch it. And uh, that's the last time I think I remember sitting down and actually watching it from beginning to end. And I'm, I, I, I kind of hate thinking about it. I was like, they don't show it on TV as much anymore. Like, it's not in those rotations of, like, movies. But, you know, stuff gets at a certain age. They don't really rotate those. Yeah. I mean, TBS has replaced When Harry Met Sally with Mean Girls. Yeah. <laughs> or <laughs> so The Proposal. We're not or, it as much. or The Proposal. Oh, yeah. yeah the Proposal. Yeah. Or The Wedding Planner or any Jennifer Lopez movie from the last oh, I love 20 years. The Wedding Planner. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like, like, I will say this. So Say Anything, When Harry Met Sally, those are my favorites. My wife and I, we have our favorites that, like, we enjoy watching together. The proposals on there, Wedding Planner, uh, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, you know, the, the ones that have yeah, come out more, more recently. Uh, that are the, more, the, more the traditional, quote-unquote, rom-coms uh, that you would see now. But pro- well, and those came out, like, while you two were together. Right, right. And so you kind of have that touchstone. Of course, yeah. So that's why they're our favorite you know, romantic yeah. movies. So. But yeah. I will say When Harry Met Sally is probably on my top, like at least top 10, if not top five movies of all time, not just romantic Right, movies, right. But like, it's a movie I want to return to. It's like a home base. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's comfort. It's a comfort watch movie oh, yeah. for me. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think, and we'll, I guess we're kind of, we'll kind of move in. So we'll talk about story origin and pre-production, but you've got two great okay. people that made this movie. You've got Rob Reiner oh, yeah. and Nora Ephron. And I mean, if there's the, two names that are synonymous with, you said a comfort movie that just mm, makes you feel, gosh, chef's kiss. yeah, that makes you, that makes you feel like this is why I love movies. These two are yeah. at the top of the list. So Nora Ephron, it's just like, I, it wasn't until I was older that I realized like, oh, Nora Ephron has like everything to do with all of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. And I and honestly, I didn't I I don't think I had known that she was a part of this until researching for the podcast. It's been so long since I'd I've seen so many Nori Efron movies since I'd watched this that I even think about her being a part of it. So it was really cool to go back and go back and read the research and see how this is really much this is very, um, a lot of autobiographical, <laughs> a lot of true true life right. in this. So well, Nora Ephron, and honestly, even Rob yeah, Reiner. Yeah, exactly. Like, Rob Reiner's done a lot of stuff that I put there on, like, my top ten mm-hmm. list of, like, these are movies I will go back oh, to. Oh, yeah. Comfort movies. It might not be the ones that make that move your brain and make you think of the world differently. Right. But they're good. Oh, yeah, And yeah. they make you happy, and they make you feel comfy. Mm-hmm. And they make you relate to your family mm-hmm. or your friends yeah. or your spouse. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he's definitely one of my top favorite directors, and I kind of forget about him sometimes because I forget that he directed movies that I love so much. So, yeah. well, because he's he's known for directing like fluffier, mm-hmm. and and I say that because it, you know, I, I don't mean it negatively. Right. Sometimes people might take it in a negative way, but I don't think a fluffy movie is necessarily a bad mm-hmm. movie. Or they just think of him doing comedies, which he hasn't. He's done other things, but you know. Mm-hmm. But we don't. We the movies we already talked about. Laramie and I did our did our podcast on Stand by Me, which is has some funny oh. elements, but very, you know, very I, deep ugh. and emotional yeah. movie that you know, uh, is just fantastic. So um, and then well, and then you've got Princess exactly, Bride, yep. where it touches everything. Yeah, yeah, I mean that everything your heart has ever felt mm-hmm. is touched by the Princess right, Bride. Which, my friend Ron, that's his all time favorite movie, and of course. It's up there yeah. for me as well. It, but it's that movie that has everything. I remember when it, it was introduced to me, 
it was like you there's no you're not gonna love it because it has everything you want it's got action it's got romance it's got suspense it's got fairy tales it's like it's all those things so perfectly blended well balanced i mean that's that's why fred savage loved it so much exactly that's why deadpool you know spoofed it when he did deadpool 2 but anyway (laughs) and now these messages comic books have been around for almost a century and in the last two decades we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on tv on the moving panels podcast we discuss movies and tv shows based on inspired by and adapted from the world of comic books Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. So let's talk a little bit about Rob Reiner. Uh, I know we talked about them on some of the previous podcasts, but it's always good to go back in case you haven't heard those. So uh, a little backstory, back history on Mr. Reiner. So as a child, his father was his role model as Carl Reiner created and starred in the Dick Van Dyke show, which I remember watching the reruns of that when I was a kid. Uh, His mother, Estelle, was also an inspiration for him to become a director. Her experience as a singer helped him understand how music was used in in a scene. Rob often felt pressured about measuring up to his father's successful streak with 12 Emmys and other prestigious awards. Of course, he eventually auditioned for and took the role as Meathead on All in the Family, the TV show in the 70s and 80s. He actually expected the show not to last very long, believing the series could not catch on with a wide audience of viewers. Uh, At the time, Reiner was only seeking temporary or part-time acting work as his long-term ambitions were in writing and directing, which that makes a lot of sense because that's really what he ended up doing, so... He began his directing career in the 1980s and found success with films like This Is Spinal Tap in 84, The Sure Thing in 85, Stand By Me in 86, The Princess Bride in 87. And of course, his hits continued in the 90s with Misery in 1990 and one of my all-time favorite movies, A Few Good Men in 1992. Definitely a fan of Rob Reiner, for sure. Absolutely. I, I love Rob Reiner. I mean, so, I mean, I even enjoy watching him as an actor. Like mm-hmm. I, I remember him in um, Sleepless in Seattle, and just that yes. like, yeah, that very fun scene with him and Tom Hanks going back and forth about mm-hmm. what, to, and me being a kid having no clue <laughs> what any of that meant, and no me, con- no context whatsoever, no context, but enjoying that like that back and forth between the two of them of just he's so natural, and obviously he's natural at it. He's been around television and film and actors his whole life his whole life yeah exactly um but he just there is like a certain musicality to the way he talks the way his characters in film talk Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know you like to think that's how you and your friends talk but you can (laughs) you can tell just by the way i'm talking in a podcast when i go back and listen to the podcast i know i don't talk that clearly i don't i am not as quick-witted i you know, no, no, but still, it's just that that feeling of like, yes, when I'm sitting around and you're sitting around with your friends and everybody's talking and laughing and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That's that same feeling you get that cadence of. Oh, yeah. And he captures oh, yeah. that so beautifully. in mm-hmm. Movies. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Nora Ephron. So I I saw this and I was like, I got to share this because I know Bethany's going to love this if she doesn't know this already. So in 1962, recent college grad and aspiring writer Nora Ephron applied to Newsweek magazine, but they only offered her job as a male girl because they refused to hire female writers. For Ephron, that injustice simply could not stand. Alongside many other female Newsweek workers, Efron joined a class action lawsuit against the magazine. They sued for discrimination based on gender, arguing that women can and should be allowed to write. The incredible case was adapted into an Amazon TV show called Good Girls Revolt. I was wondering, I was like, oh, I remembered seeing that show. (laughs) I didn't watch it. The show wasn't great. Okay. But... I did remember, like, the first episode, Nora Ephron shows up, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Nora Ephron? I know that name. I know that <laughs> right. name. Like, right. oh, man, right. she is a B.A., just mm-hmm. really yeah. cool. Um, yeah, her whole history and how she got into writing and writing mm-hmm. for film, it's very fascinating. She's, yeah, yeah. She's an incredible person to really study and look into. Okay, yeah, I didn't deep dive that deep, but I'm, but I was like, I saw this, like, oh, this is right up at Bethany's alley. It so and sure I, once again, is. and I, I agree that I, that's crazy that they wouldn't give her a writing job, but you know, sixty two, we've come. Hopefully, we've come a long way. We've come a, a moderate way since. Then. Yes, I say, I was like, <laughs> maybe not as far as we should have, but we've come a long way. Yeah. So, but yes, Nora was an acclaimed essayist. She wrote Crazy Salad in nineteen seventy five. A novelist, she wrote the book Heartburn, that was also turned into a movie in nineteen eighty three and had written screenplays for several popular films, all featuring strong female characters, such as anti-nuclear activist Karen Silkwood in the movie Silkwood with Meryl Streep in 83, uh, and mob and a mobster's feisty independent daughter Cookie, which was made in a movie called Cookie in 1989. Uh, one name titles seem to work for her. Uh, Efron made her directorial debut with the comedy This Is My Life in 1992, she followed up by helming and co-writing Sleepless in Seattle, which we've discussed already, in 1993, oh, with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. She teamed up with Hanks and Ryan again in 1998 for You've Got Mail, which oh, is so also in, in my top, that's in my top five favorite uh, romantic comedies for sure. I've <sighs> I've probably seen You've Got Mail. Yeah, I've seen that one so many times. It's been times, a while yeah. since I've seen it, but I've, I used to know that one almost by heart. Okay, so just a quick thing about You've Got Mail. I know this is not a sure. podcast about You've Got Mail, but it's okay. it wouldn't be an episode with me if I didn't talk about a different movie. So, I'll let it slide. So You've Got Mail is based on another, the, it, the, it's a the shop around the corner. Yeah. Yes. And so there are three versions that I know of, and there's a musical version. Mm. Um, the musical's called She Loves Me. Um, mm-hmm. There's Shop Around the Corner, there's In the Good Old Summertime, and then there's another Shop Around the Corner. Okay. And and they all are basically the same story, although I want to say in the original... It, it, You've Got Mail is the only one where they don't work in the same store. They okay. work in different stores. And all the other ones, they work in the same store. They're just like competing salespeople. And gotcha. they hate okay. each other. But there is one scene in every version from You've Got Mail mm-hmm. to the shop around the corner with uh, Jimmy Stewart. The scene where the Tom Hanks character finds out who the Meg Ryan character is mm-hmm. and he's with his friend. That scene is almost verbatim the same okay. scene in every single version. <laughs> it's just that like, you know who she looks like? She looks a lot like blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Like, why are we talking about her? Well, trust me, 
if you don't like her, you're not going to like this girl. Why not? <laughs> because it is this girl. Right, right. And every single version, that scene yeah. is the same, which I always find funny. Uh, so those are the two, you know, spearheads of this uh, movie. So this is how it all kind of came down. So in 1984, Rob Reiner, his producing partner, Andy Scheinman, and Nora Ephron met over lunch at the Russian Tea Room in New York City to develop a project. Reiner pitched an idea for a film that Efron rejected. <laughs> the second meeting transformed into a long discussion about Reiner and Scheinman's lives as single men. Reiner remembers in his quote, I was in the middle of my single life. I'd been divorced for a while. I'd been out a number of times. All these disastrous, confusing relationships, one after another. End of his quote. The next time they all met, Reiner said he had always wanted to do a film about two people who become friends who do not have sex because they know it will ruin their relationship, but they have sex anyway. Efron liked the idea, and Reiner acquired a deal at the studio. For materials, Efron interviewed Reiner and Scheinman about their lives, creating the basis for Harry. Reiner was constantly depressed and pessimistic, yet funny. Efron also got bits of dialogue from these interviews. Sally was based on Efron and some of her friends. She worked on several drafts over the years while Reiner made Stand By Me and The Princess Bride. Billy Crystal, who was Reiner's best friend at the time, experienced Reiner's return to single life after divorcing comedian filmmaker Penny Marshall and in the process was unconsciously doing research for the role of Harry. Now, I will say this. I forgot that he was married to Penny I Marshall. I did not know he was married to Penny yeah, they Marshall. Yeah, they actually have a daughter together. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so they have a daughter together, but he helped raise one of her daughters from a previous marriage. So, okay. But just think about that. I mean, you got Rob Reiner, Carl Reiner, Penny Marshall, Gary Marshall. I mean, Penny Marshall. That would have been I, the loudest family reunion. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But, you would I have mean, to come with ibuprofen to all the birthday right, parties. Right, right. So, but all of them have directed movies that I love. You know what I'm saying? Like iconic Gary Marshall. Movies. Right, iconic movies. Uh, Penny Marshall, A League of Their Own. Uh, oh, big. So uh, Gary Marshall, uh, Pretty Woman, The Princess Beaches. Diaries. Was that? Beaches. Beaches. Yes, we discussed that before. Yeah. Uh, and then Carl Reiner, Summer School, which me and Laramie have talked about. Uh, so, yeah, I just, that, that, you know, almost blew my mind. I was like, I didn't realize he was married to Penny Marshall. So, but this all came from that divorce and him trying to get back into being a single man again. During the screenwriting process, when Efron did not feel like writing, she would interview people who worked for the production company. Some of the interviews appeared in the film as the interludes between certain scenes featuring couples talking about how they met, although the material was rewritten and reshot with actors. Efron supplied the structure of the film with much of the dialogue based on the real-life friendship between Reiner and Crystal. For example, in the scene where Sally and Harry appear on a split screen talking on the telephone while watching their respective television sets, channel surfing... That was actually something that Crystal and Reiner did every night when they were friends. I mean, I've done that with a friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and granted, when Laramie and I first started dating, yeah, I was we say, would that do was that. Me and Tyra like, did the same thing. <laughs> like, I would be at home in my bed, mm -hmm. and we'd be on the phone, like, chit-chatting and doing our little thing. Right. And, uh, although we were dating. Right. And I would be like, well, what are you watching? Okay. And then we could, like, talk mm -hmm. and watch TV together. Right. Without actually being together. Right. Separate locations. Definitely. That's such a that's such a relatable scene mm -hmm. when they're when they're talk okay and then you know Billy Crystal throws in these like random lines oh yeah you ad lib most I of it yeah. yeah and then there's like times where I I hear him in my head 
because something will happen. Like the white man's over by Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. And I'll see some dudes dancing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, it's the white man's overbite. But that scene where they're watching TV together, and he goes, I'll just sit here and moan, yes, probably. Yeah. I'll get started. Mm-hmm. I'll, pract- I'll start practicing mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny, because I was watching that in the living room, and Tyra was in the kitchen doing something, and she heard it, and she just started laughing from the kitchen. She was like, <laughs> she's like, is he laughing? I'm like, no, he's moaning. He's practicing moaning. his moaning. So... It was funny, but yeah. Because I'll do that sometimes. Like if I'm just like, like I'm tired, but I'm not tired enough to fall asleep and I'm watching TV and I'll just sit there. Mm. <laughs> uh. Yes. It, you know, sometimes it's soothing to moan to yourself. Yeah, it just feels you good. You lull yourself to sleep that way sometimes. <laughs> so, okay. So let's jump into casting. Uh, and un- unlike our last podcast, which we had like 24 people to talk about in the cast of Christmas Vacation. <laughs> I'm only going to talk about the four primary characters of this movie, right. uh, which I think that's, I mean, which I, I was funny because I was like, there really are only, only are only four characters in this movie that you really follow the whole time. There's real, like yeah. that, you know, their name, right, right. There's little people to, like, that kind of follow them. There's little, there's, you know, side characters that pop in and pop out, but they're not significant enough that I felt like I'm going to spend some time talking about them. So, so of course we'll start with Harry played by Billy Crystal. Love Billy Crystal so much. Yeah. So a little about his backstory. So uh, as many of you know, he became a regular on Saturday Night Live in 1984, where his Fernando impression with the catchphrase, you look marvelous, was a huge hit with viewers. This would lead to appearances in feature-length films such as Running Scared in 86, I love that movie, and Throw Mama from the Train in 87, not as big of a fan. In 1986, along with Whoopi Goldberg and Robin Williams, he started Comic Relief and an annual stand-up comedy show which helped to raise money for housing and medical care for the homeless. Billy's career would peak in the late 80s and early 90s. His roles in the blockbuster movies like When Harry Met Sally and City Slickers in 1991 helped to establish him as one of Hollywood's top movie stars. The star status was further validated when he was chosen to host the annual Oscars in 1990, an honor in which he would repeat seven more times. And honestly... Those were the best Oscar shows I remember was when he was hosting. He's so charming. Yeah. And he's just, it's so funny that he's the romantic lead in this movie because he's not that conventionally right. attractive. Yeah. Like when you, when people make fun of rom-coms, mm-hmm. they talk about how just this impossibly go- gorgeous man. Mm-hmm. And he's fine. Mm-hmm. Like he's not... He's not unattractive. Right, right. He's he's just your basic average white dude. He's not Matthew McConaughey or Ryan Reynolds no. you would see in today's rom-coms. No, he's not a Chris Helmsworth. Right. He's, he's Billy Crystal, yeah. but I love him. Mm-hmm. He wrote this book about growing up with his dad called 700 Sundays. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And his life, it, it just... Find a minute to read this book mm-hmm. because it is so interesting. His dad ran this like jazz store, like this jazz record st- store and just the famous jazz musicians. He talked about going to see a movie and sat in Etta James's lap. Oh, wow. The whole time. Yeah. Just he's <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. But but his dad, the, the reason it's called 700 Sundays is that the only day of the week his dad had off was on Sunday. Mm-hmm. 
and his dad died when he was like a teenager. And so he says at the beginning of the book, I really only had 700 Sundays with my dad. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of him telling that story of his relationship with his father. And it wasn't always, you know, happy and good, but, you know, the good stuff mixed in with the bad stuff. And it's just, it's a beautiful story. And I cried and Billy Crystal's just, ugh. Ugh, what do you say? Are we adding him to the list? Oh, 100%. <laughs> this is going to be a movie. I was telling Larry, yeah. I said, really, there's not one that's not an American treasure. Right, yeah. I thought the same thing when I was doing it. I was like, yeah, we, we, you've bet, you're <laughs> betting mean, a thousand on this one. You really are. There's no duds Mm-mm. in this movie. Mm-mm. I mean, Billy Crystal is up there. And like I said, he, I, I, I love this movie. It's my favorite all-time romantic mm-hmm. movie. Of all time. And he's a big reason. Right. He's just charming. He's fun to talk to. Oh, yeah. And I think that kind of plays in with the... I love... I even love... I was watching it tonight before we... To prepare for this podcast. Mm -hmm. Him at the very beginning where he is just an (laughs) a-hole. He's a jerk for sure. And it's so funny because... I think when I was a kid, I was like, why is he acting like mm-hmm. this? This is so annoying. Yeah. But if you've been that age, if you've yeah. been in your early 20s, yeah. you've met that guy. Mm-hmm. Or you've been that he guy. Thinks, oh, <laughs> or you've been that guy. If you're a, if you're a female, you, yeah. you've met that guy. <laughs> if you're a guy, you've been that guy. Probably, yeah. yeah. Just he's so deep and dark and oh, brooding. Yeah, yeah. But he thinks so much mm-hmm, of himself. Mm-hmm. And it's just obnoxious. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I, that's another thing I love about this movie. And I was I was noticing it a lot watching it today is to see both of their growth over time. Right. Like seeing Although him mature. Billy Crystal's character mat- he, grows a lot more in that he becomes a better human being. Right. She becomes more confident right, in who she is. Right, right, exactly. Which is which is what happens. Mm-hmm. A woman, especially, you know, a woman my age, when she's in her early 20s, is so, like, self-conscious. Mm-hmm. And we just don't know, like, we're afraid to talk. I'm speaking from personal experience, <laughs> obviously. I'm sure there's some women out there who are confident from the moment they jump out of the womb. But I was not one of those people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. And and you watch her kind of grow into herself. And you see that, like, facade at the beginning of, like, you can tell she's okay with her breakup mm-hmm. from that guy. Right. Like, she genuinely is. Right. It's really just the fact that he's marrying somebody else when he said he didn't want mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And it becomes that question that all of us have had. Mm-hmm. They get out of a relationship with somebody who then immediately finds the one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And even though you knew that you were not the one with the other person. It still stings. It stings. Right. It makes you go like, well, what's wrong with me? Right. Why, right. Didn't, why didn't you see that in me? We take it personally. I'm delightful. Right. Why? <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, yes, he becomes a, a more tolerable human being to be with. And you see that at each of the three stages mm-hmm. when they meet each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. So, so as much as we love Billy Crystal, you know he was not the first choice for this movie. Oh, really? No. So who was Tom Hanks? Was in, was early talks. He wasn't a big fan of the of the script. 
uh, they wanted Albert Brooks, which I'm really glad it wasn't him. Uh, he turned it down. And then there was also uh, Richard Dreyfus and Michael Keaton were also in the running. So, no, I think Billy Crystal, I, they, they would have been, I think Tom Hanks would have been my second choice. Well, of course. Yeah. After Billy Crystal. Yeah. Because I think he still has that. But Tom Hanks, especially during that period, mm-hmm. was more conventionally attractive. Mm-hmm. And I really, really like the fact that, you know, Billy Crystal is just some average guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Definitely. For sure. And then I think it would have just been a totally... Di- I don't think Albert Brooks could have played that softness. I've never been a fan of Albert Brooks, so I don't... I don't but... dislike him, but I don't see him as a romantic partner with Meg Ryan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, she wasn't the first choice either, but we're, we're getting okay. there. So sorry. So you know, moving right along, <laughs> Meg Ryan is Sally Albright. So a little bit about her backstory. Uh, Meg Ryan moved from her home state of Connecticut to New York to attend New York University, where she majored in journalism. To earn extra money while working on her degree, she went into acting. In 1981, she had her big screen <laughs> debut with a brief appearance as Candace Bergen's daughter in George Cooker's last film, Rich and Famous in 1981. I have no idea what that movie is. but uh, She then auditioned and was cast as Betsy in the daytime television soap opera As the World Turns. She was part of the cast from 1982 to 1984. In 84, she moved to Tinseltown and landed a job on the Western television series Wild Side in 1985. Uh, Meg's small part in the blockbuster movie Top Gun in 86, which we discussed uh last year led to her being cast in steven spielberg's inner space in 87 another favorite of mine that we haven't covered yet where she co-starred with dennis quaid who she later married in 1991 and then divorced in 2001 in the 90s she became the go-to rom-com actress with roles in here we go deep breath sleepless in seattle in 1993 with tom hanks iq in 1994 with tim robbins french kiss in 1995 with kevin klein Addicted to Love in 1997 with Matthew Broderick, and then teaming up again with Hanks in 1998 for You've Got Mail. What about Joe versus the Volcano? You know, I don't put that as a rom-com. That was, that was 1990. Or just a com It was a dark comedy. That was, that was a weird <laughs> movie. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan of that one. Joe's versus the Volcano. I, I yeah. love that movie. That was when I went to the theater and saw, and I was like, what am I watching? I just, I just <laughs> didn't get it. I need to watch it again now that I'm older. I yeah. may understand it better. Uh, I mean, there's. I think that's one of those movies you just have to watch. Being like, I'm just here for the ride. Right. I'm not. Right. I'm not here to like actually pay attention to this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm here to just enjoy Tom Hanks, and then Meg Ryan playing three different. Yeah. People yeah. Which I thought was very cool. well. Yeah. Which I thought yeah. was cool. So, and she did other movies during this time. I mean, she she has range. I mean, I just mentioned yes. the rom coms, but she she was in The Doors. She was in uh, When a Man Loves a Woman. I mean, she did some serious drama roles as well. So she, she is phenomenal. Yeah, she's a great actress. I, you know, I I know that once she had like plastic surgery, people kind of shunned her. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's unfortunately just the society we live in we only mm-hmm. value women when they look young yeah and unfortunately that bitter in the butt yeah yeah she's a queen she's a treasure mm-hmm. she's delightful she's just so precious in this movie i <laughs> yeah i love her yeah. hair it's just so big <laughs> and right right i love the scene at the beginning when she's spray- using yes. the hairspray in the in the car <laughs> it's and then just she carries 
this movie so well and I she does such a good job against of, of being the straight man to Billy Crystal like she yeah. she plays yeah, along sure. but you know she still has a lot of fun doing mm-hmm. it as well yeah She's, yeah well of course like we said she was not the first choice so Rob Reiner initially envisioned actress Susan Day from the Partridge family who was actually starring in the TV show L.A. Law at the time. He was who he envisioned for the role of Sally Albright. She declined, so he later considered Elizabeth Perkins, who had just been in Big with Tom Hanks. He also considered casting Elizabeth McGovern, and John Hughes' muse Molly Ringwald was almost cast. I really couldn't see that one. Meg Ryan actually lobbied hard and ultimately had to convince Reiner to get the part. She was so good. She's so funny. She does little things. And I, yeah, I mean, yeah. you've heard me talk on this podcast before. I love when actors do so much with very little. Mm-hmm, and she, mm-hmm. she'll she make a face, just like a tiny little face. And you just go like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. every time she has to order something, you you know it's going to be an adventure. And Billy Crystal oh, yeah, yeah. Lets her, does a good job as an actor of letting her take the lead on that. Like just letting that right. scene be hers. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites and you know, we'll get to our favorite scenes eventually, but we may just discuss them all ahead of time. One of my favorites is her at the mailbox, mm-hmm. putting each <laughs> individual letter in the mailbox. And he, and I love Billy Crystal. Cause he's like, he's, he's being patient. He's being patient. And then he's like, you know what? I can't take it anymore. And he just throws them on. The, I just, she, I love that scene. She, look, she holds it up to the sun. Right, checks it right. to make sure it's stamped, puts it in, and then checks to make sure it falls. And she's got a stack right. of mail, and then he just throws it all yeah. in, and she looks at him, and she's all frustrated, and then she still checks to make sure they all went in. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'll say this, because I'll probably forget if I don't do it, say it now. Another another like aspect of this that I love is, and I thought about it today while I was watching it, is they're both quirky characters yeah. in the sense ways. of they're not... Yeah, it's like she has this quirkiness from the beginning that you see initially that you know you could I'll say this you could see why some men could not be with her because the quirkiness would just drive them completely up the wall but the same with Crystal his His, pessimism and his sarcastic and his you know his jokes and stuff is going to rub someone else the wrong way so to see how well they fit together with their oddities and their quirkiness and their things that would drive other people crazy is what makes them such a good match well, together. And then I think it also speaks to the fact that they they didn't like each other at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Although they argue right. that throughout the movie of like, well, I, we didn't <laughs> like each other. No, you liked me, but I didn't like you. No, I, you right, liked me, right. but I didn't like you. And then the right, second right. time we both hated each other. And then mm-hmm. and then the third time we became best friends. And, and then we fell in love. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's just that you know, she had to gain the confidence in herself to be able to put up with some of his sarcasm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he had to gain some humility in order mm-hmm. to put up with, you know, I hate the phrase high maintenance. But that's <laughs> right. that's the best Talk way. Talk a couple articles yeah, about that. Yeah, that's the best way to describe how she's being portrayed is just like a high maintenance, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't like that phrase. She just knows what she wants. 
And right. when a woman knows what she wants, typically that's viewed as like, oh, she's too much. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, take that as you will. Uh, I thought you would find this little nugget uh, interesting because I did. Meg Ryan's first leading role would have been Shelby in Still Magnolias, but she turned down the part to pursue the role of Sally instead. Another up-and-coming actress we know as Julia Roberts took her place and later starred in Pretty Woman, a role that Meg Ryan initially turned down. That's awesome. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. That's really neat. And you can kind of see that because Julia Roberts had very similar... Had mm-hmm. a very similar career, especially in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Of just yes. that, like, girl yeah. next door, heart of gold, mm-hmm. love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah. One thing I really like about the portrayal of Sally in this mm-hmm. is they don't ask her to change. Honestly, no, neither no. of them are asked to change. Neither one. Right. Exactly. They both. There's no, there's no ultimatum, right. like, you know. You've got to, you've got, this has to change if we're going to be together. Well, I I would say the only thing that, and and I love this about Sally, is she demands to be respected. Like, she has hit a point in her life, and she's like, no, you're not going to treat me like garbage. You're not going to dump me just because we slept Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. The the line that turns me, she's like, I'm not going to be your, I can't do this, Harry. I'm not going to be your consolation Uh prize. And it was like, oh. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, that's not how he felt. But at the same time, you can understand why she felt. Absolutely. That he was treating her that way. Absolutely. And it was like, oh, that's a that's just a it gut is. punch. And I mean, uh, who's who's better to say it? But his best friend, like mm-hmm, she right. and and, you know, you've got those best friends who you've got the friends that you just, mm-hmm. oh, I've got your back. What? No, everybody else mm-hmm. is wrong. You're right. That's a friend, but mm-hmm. your best friend can be like, no, look, you messed up. And this is what mm-hmm. you did wrong. Mm-hmm. And now, these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, so moving right along, let's talk about Carrie Fisher as Marie. And I'll, we'll, we'll make it. We're gonna, you and I, we can do this. We can make it through this. Okay. I just have to say this, and it's very controversial, and I don't know how you're going to feel about it. And you can feel free to disagree with me. This is the best movie Carrie Fisher's ever been in. Um, I don't care. I will not disagree with you on that. I love her. I know she's Princess yeah. Leia. Yes. I get it. But that's different. It's that's a totally different, different role. That's a different And I think she's acting. amazing in that. I love her. She is so unapologetically her character. And I mm-hmm. think that's beautiful. And I love her yeah. relationship with Sally in this mm-hmm. movie. Or, oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, <laughs> because I, I quote... Carrie Fisher 
all the time in this all movie. All the time, yeah. Because I, I'll just be like, you're right, you're right, I know you're right. I know you're right, yeah. You're right, I, you're yeah, right, I know you're favorite. right. <laughs> because you've said that to your best friend. Your best friend has mm-hmm. called you out. Right. And you, again and again for the same you're right. thing. You're right, I know you're right. Mm. But that that's mm. not going to change anything. <laughs> but you're right, you're right, right. I know you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. American treasure. Do we have to say it? We don't. No, because she, she is. is. Even with, you know, well, like I said, she's most famous for playing Princess Leia in Star Wars. But the cool thing about this movie, like you said, is like, I don't think, I don't see, oh, that's Princess Leia playing that. That's not who she is. Not even, no. they're not even remotely the same character I, at I all. Think so it's really like. this really showed how talented Carrie Fisher was yes. as a performer. Yes. Because she yeah. could have coasted by doing Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. And never worked again in her oh, life. Yeah. And oh, would yeah, have been sure. just as iconic now as she was. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I don't know what her finances were like. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's a whole other story. And I know she had her struggles. Right. right. So we'll, 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 let's kind of dig into that. So her other film credits included Shampoo in 1975, The Blues Brothers in 1980, Hannah and Her Sisters in 86, The Burbs, which also came out in 89, Soap Dish in 91, and The Women in 2008. She also wrote several semi-autobiographical novels, including Postcards from the Edge and an autobiographical one-woman play and its nonfiction book, Wishful Drinking, based on the play. She wrote the screenplay for the film version of Postcards from the Edge, which garnered her a BAFTA Award for Best Adapted Screenplay nomination, and her one-woman stage show of Wishful Drinking was filmed for television and received a nomination for the Primetime Emmy Awards, for outstanding variety special. What I love about Fisher is she worked on other writer's screenplays as a script doctor, including tightening the scripts for Hook in 91, Sister Act in 92, The Wedding Singer in 98, and many of the films from the Star Wars franchise, among others. She also earned praise for speaking publicly about her experiences with bipolar disorder and drug addiction before her untimely death in 2016. She's a real just mm-hmm. testament to everything. Like, you know, a lot of a lot of people, just in general, mm-hmm. not stars, struggle with addiction, struggle mm-hmm. with mental health. And it takes a lot of courage to be able to openly say, these mm-hmm. are my struggles. I still struggle daily. And she was so scrutinized for mm-hmm. her body mm-hmm. and she was scrutinized for every right. little thing. And she she yeah. succeeded. I mean, there were definitely downtimes for her. Um, but I mean, she is just yeah, mm. yeah, gone yes, too soon. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I've I mean, I'd read stories over the years about her being a script doctor, and and you know, she thinks she worked on *Lethal Weapon* too. Like she rewrote a lot of Rene oh. Russo's character in *Lethal Weapon* movies because they needed a female perspective, and so. And she's smart, and she's funny, and she yeah, knows exactly. how to write. And she gets labeled as just mm-hmm. Princess Leia, which, you know, that's mm-hmm. a big deal. Like, I'm not saying just right. Princess Leia doesn't mean anything, but she, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. What do you say? <laughs> you said it already. She's a national treasure. And, and I, I would agree with you. This is, Absolutely. and I haven't seen all the other movies that she's been in, um, but this is, this is one of the best roles for her. Outside, you know, outside of Princess Leia, like I said, it, that's a different. It's a totally. You can't compare the two things. They're totally different types of movies and no. different. 
I love the scene where, you know, she and Bruno Kirby are in bed and they're mm-hmm. both on the phone. One's oh, yeah, yeah. on the phone with Harry, one's on the phone with Sally. And then it ends and, you know, we've anybody who's been in a serious mm-hmm. relationship mm-hmm. with somebody who, you know, like that's the right, person right. you're with forever. They've talked to their single friends and they're just like, oh <laughs> my gosh. And you turn to your spouse and you just go, please tell me I never have to do that ever again. And it's just the sweetest little moment. Like they're not even, like you almost can't even mm-hmm. see their faces. Like they're laid down, like you're looking right, at their right. chins. And it's just like this sweet, intimate moment. Mm-hmm. And you've been there. Like you get yeah. it. You don't need to see all of it. And she's just so precious. And- yeah, once again, one of my favorite scenes is uh, the whole dinner scene where they meet. Yes. And that's just, it's fantastic. I mean, it's just so well done. It's, it's so like, cute. You know, and she makes, she says the lines like, uh, it's like, I, don't, I read that somewhere. I wrote that. What? You wrote that? I've never quoted it in, in, in my life. I've never quoted a magazine yeah. in my entire life. <laughs> and then they're outside and they have the conversations like, well, you know, are you going to ask her out? Well, I don't know, you know, but, but just, you know, g- give it some time. Don't do anything tonight. I wouldn't think about doing it tonight. I don't feel like walking. I'm going to take a cab. I'm going to. Yeah. And they just run in the cab. It's like, oh my gosh. That's so great. Uh, Yeah. So good. It's so good. The two of them are Mm -hmm. so funny together. Yes. Her and Bruno Kirby together. So, so cute together. And and I also like, because, you know, if you've ever tried to set up a couple (laughs) and you're like, so Mm -hmm. Carrie, I can't even think of her character's name right now. Marie. Marie is also from New Jersey. It's like, oh, where are you from? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> there was just no chemistry there whatsoever. No. But then, but, but, but I love the glances then, that, you know, Harry and Sally have. It's like they're looking at each other. And it's like, you, we all see it. It's like, come on, guys. Just, you know, put it together. Yeah. Put it together. Well, <laughs> I think the beautiful thing about that scene is every single character, while they have mm-hmm. speaking lines, every single character also has an internal oh, yeah. dialogue right. that you can hear right. loud right. and clear. Like when Bruno Kirby and um, Meg Ryan are talking, and she's like, well, I just mm. don't like that guy. Well, he's the right. reason I became a writer, so. <laughs> <laughs> and they both have this face of just right. like, oh my gosh. Right. How are you kidding? friends like, with this guy? <laughs> How? Yeah. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about Bruno Kirby as Jess. Uh, Bruno's close association with director Rob Reiner and actor Billy Crystal arguably led to the apex of his film career. In the early 80s, he chummed around with both Reiner and Crystal on a softball team, along with writer-actor-director Christopher Guest. Bruno wound up playing Crystal's best buddy in two of Crystal's biggest box office hits, of course, this one, When Hammer Makes Sally, in 89, and City Slickers in 91. He... uh, yeah, I love that I one. Love. Yeah, he also appeared in Reiner's cult hit "This Is Spinal Tap" in '84. Other important film roles for him included his humorless lieutenant in "Good Morning Vietnam" in '87. That was the role I remember him in originally. The refined salesman named Mouse in Tin Men" in '87, and Marlon Brando's nephew in "The Freshman" in 1990, playing off his brief appearance in the original Godfather. So, uh, but Bruno Kirby was fantastic. I mean, I love I love him in "City Slickers." But I was a big fan of Good Morning Vietnam with Robin Williams and his character in that was, was fantastic. That's one of those movies I have never seen. But it's one of those that I've always wanted to watch and I've just, for whatever reason. It's definitely worth watching. That was one of his first movies that he did where he was still funny, 
but he was moving into more serious roles. Mm-hmm. So it gets really serious, like towards the middle and the end. Well, it's so about Vietnam. Going, so yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I remember going to see the movie and I'm like, this isn't the Robin Williams that I thought I was going to see, but it's a, it's a great movie. It's one of his best performances, but, okay. uh, but yeah, de- definitely worth checking out. Definitely one we'll cover on the podcast. Baby fish mouth, baby fish mouth. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I just. Baby talk. How is that a, how is that a, a, a common phrase? Oh, oh yeah. Baby, baby fish, fish mouth, mouth is sweeping, sweeping the nation. Condition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he is so funny in this movie and oh mm. my gosh, just, and and it leads me to Laramie's other favorite scene. And it's mm-hmm. where, because he's like, well, you know what my favorite scene is. And I said it was this one. It's when Billy Crystal and Bruno Kirby are discussing how Billy Crystal's getting divorced. And they're at a football yes. game. Yes. And every few yes. seconds they have to stand up and to, to do stand the up wave. And, do the wave. Yeah. <laughs> and they're talking about this like heartbreaking thing. And then, mm-hmm. And now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. We're there. Let's talk about iconic and favorite scenes. Okay. I think we've we've discussed. I think ninety percent of them. Yeah. Now you know. Uh, so I'll let you go first. Any, any scene we have not discussed yet that you wanna you wanna talk about? You know, I was watching it again tonight, and it's one of those movies where I laugh out loud. Still, mm-hmm. I've seen this movie a hundred times. I still laugh mm-hmm. out loud watching it and I think okay so we can talk about we kind of hinted at this scene earlier but Mm -hmm. the okay we are going to talk about we are going to talk like this right (laughs) and I think the reason I love this scene is that Meg Ryan it it wasn't scripted it was Billy Crystal and Mm -hmm. you even see at one point where like Meg Ryan like looks off at Mm -hmm. the camera and it's like she's like, are we rolling? Right. Like, yeah. what is happening? Yeah. But she just goes with it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so much fun hearing him speak and bye. <laughs> and, and that she's willing to go along with it, too, which yeah. is great. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just when you're with your best friend, there's things mm-hmm. that you're willing to do, even if it's make yourself look stupid, that you wouldn't normally do. Right. Right. Because mm. you're who cares? Like, you're with your best friend. Yeah. Who, yeah. Who really cares? Yeah. I like the scene with Bruno and Billy Crystal at the batting cages. Yeah, and the kid's like trying to get yeah. into the batting cage. And he's yeah. like, I've got a stack of quarters and I was here first. No, you right. weren't. Yes, I was. Yeah. yeah. He's like, so you're saying you're maturing? You're, you're, you're growing? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
this is, and I think Billy Crystal had mentioned this recently. He said this movie wouldn't get made today because it's too much talking. Like there's really there's oh, there's yeah. not enough action. It's very much a dialogue heavy movie. Not very much happens. Yeah, in this yeah, movie. yeah. And so, but the conversations, but the like. conversations are so rich and so great. Yeah. So it's like there are certain scenes that like there there's so much in them. It's not like a brief, you know. Oh, I like this one scene where this happens. It's what's so great about it is the conversations are so good. So are we going to talk about it? Are we going to talk about the big scene? Let's talk about the big scene. Go for it. I've got some trivia with it, so I'll let you start and I'll... Okay. Actually, no, you start. Okay. And I'll give you my opinion on this. Okay. All right. So, of course, we're talking about the scene with the two characters having lunch at Cat's Delicatessen in Manhattan, which is a real delicatessen in Manhattan. Uh, the couple are arguing about a man's ability to recognize when a woman is faking an orgasm. Here's that part of the podcast we warned you about, folks. Uh, <laughs> Sally claims that men cannot tell the difference, and to prove her point, she vividly, fully clothed, fakes one as other diners watch. The scene ends with Sally casually returning to her meal, and a nearly, and a nearby patron, played by Reiner's mother, places her order with a deadpan line of, I'll have what she's having. When Estelle Reiner died at age 94 in 2008, New York Times referred to her as the woman who delivered, quote-unquote, who delivered the most memorable funny line in movie history. End quote. The scene was shot again and again, and Ryan demonstrated her fake orgasms for hours. Cat's Deli still hangs a sign above the table that says, Where Harry Met Sally, dot, 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 hope you have what she had. So, the memorable, the memorable <laughs> scene was actually born when the film started to focus too much on Harry. Billy Crystal remembers saying, quote, We need something for Sally to talk about. And Nora said, Well, faking orgasm is a great one. And right away we said, Well, the subject is good. <laughs> and then Meg came on board and we talked about her. We, I'm sorry. And we talked with her about the nature of the idea. And she said, Well, why don't I just fake one? Just do one. Ryan suggested the scene take place in a restaurant. And it was Crystal who came up with the scene's classic punchline I'll have what she's having. In 2005, the quote was listed 33rd. On AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes list of memorable movie lines, Reiner recalls that at a test screening, all of the women in the audience were laughing while all the men stayed silent. <laughs> it's a funny scene. It is. I will give everyone that. It is a funny scene. It is the mm -hmm. least realistic scene in the whole entire <laughs> movie. Right, right. Because I feel like you can... And especially the character that Sally is at that point. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's one thing to do a silly voice in whatever that was, a museum. Right, right. It's another thing to full-on fake an orgasm mm -hmm. in the middle of a very crowded... And it looks small. Like, it looks like oh, everybody's yeah, yeah. right up on... Oh, they are. <laughs> and everybody's, like, visually turning and looking at right. her. And right. I well, I find myself to be a very loud and mm -hmm. you know I'm I don't get embarrassed too super easily. I still right. would not have done that. Yeah. I think and like you said because she's the growth for her character is building that confidence mm -hmm. in herself. And I think at that point she was really she was really pissed off at, at I Harry. agree. Yes. And you know so she was like, you know, you're you're making assumptions about all women because you're taking advantage of women. In her mind. So I yeah. think it was almost like, I, you know, you've embarrassed me plenty with your antics. I'm about to embarrass you. And that was really, I think that was the the whole, you know, 
underlying yeah. current was like she was like I may be embarrassed but he's gonna feel the embarrassment way more than I will and Billy uh, Crystal looks embarrassed yes yes and and I will say because again I was watching this and I had told my daughter to leave the room but Ruby had like walked <laughs> through because it's a loud scene it is a loud scene and yeah. she walked I turned it through, down yeah. and she goes like what's going on wrong. like what is she doing <laughs> what's and wrong I just, with her mommy basically <laughs> and I just said she's just trying to embarrass him um, mm-hmm. Go to your room, right? But don't <laughs> don't ever try to embarrass anyone this way, please. Uh, in public, please yeah. no. But yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's one of those scenes where I'm just like, this feels like a scene that was put there for that joke. Mm-hmm. And as much as I do love it, it's hilarious. And yeah, it, yeah. And especially, I think what kills it for me is once she's done. She just very nonchalantly takes a bite of her salad and <laughs> smiles at him real right. big. Right, right. Which I think is just precious. And mm-hmm. uh, and then, of course, the I'll have what she's having scene. Mm-hmm. I laugh out loud every time. Oh, yeah. But. I laugh more now knowing that it's Carl Reiner's mother that says yeah, the line. But that's, that's true. <laughs> I don't know. It's one of those where I wouldn't want it to not be in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know if it really serves the movie. I get that. I mean, there's a few scenes, like watching it again today, like I said, there's a few scenes that are a little too long. Like it, it hangs in some sp- some shots a little longer than it probably needs to. And that's just because we, you know, filmmaking is done differently now than it was, you know, 30 years ago. But it's still great. I mean, I, it doesn't take anything away. I'm like you, it doesn't take anything away from the movie for me. But I could see how it could have been edited a little differently. If it was made, like, granted, the movie's only an hour and a half long, so it's not like it was. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. It's not like the movie's too long. Mm-mm. Especially now, considering like the average runtime of a movie that comes out in twenty twenty two is three hours. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I could see that scene getting edited from the movie if it were made now. Mm-hmm. I guess Laramie has the DVD for this, and this is how you I have it. the DVD for this. This was okay. one All of right. the movies that I brought into our relationship. Honestly, oh, okay. though, I think there were a lot of like overlapping movies that we had. I think yeah, this is one yeah. that we both had because he and I both love this movie. Right. So did you have the, because I think there's two different DVDs that have multiple deleted scenes. I, so I didn't watch any of the deleted scenes. I did not scenes. watch any of the I didn't deleted know if you did. scenes. I don't think my DVD has that. Okay. I think. I think there's like th- I think yeah. I've got a version that has like that that was like right when DVDs had just come out. Yeah, so you probably have like just the yeah. basic version. Yeah, cuz there was I was reading about them and there was one like it the, they had the VHS and then the like the DVD and then they did like a special edition there was there was a different one with the commentary and then like a couple years later they did a new commentary with like a bunch of deleted scenes. It was like a special edition. And they said the Blu-ray is the same, has the same special features as the special edition. So I was just curious, like we just talked about, it was only, it's an hour and 35 minutes with credits. So I'm curious what those deleted scenes got taken out, what all was there. I'm sure a lot of the deleted scenes would be like alts. So just like, yeah, just something where it's, it's the same thing. It's just that they say different lines. Like Billy Crystal has different Mm -hmm. jokes that he tries. Right. Right or different angles, right. different different locations. Vaguely, cl- vaguely, yeah. I remember watching the deleted scenes in the past, um, mm-hmm. but I think it was it was more like in the scene where like the weird scene where they talk about sex dreams. 
mm-hmm. it, it's like the dialogue was slightly different. So, right, right. like you said earlier, Billy Crystal ad-libbed a lot. And so I'm sure a lot of the deleted scenes were more alternate takes than... All right, so any other scenes you want to talk about before we jump into no, the trivia? No, let's hear that trivia. We're just about at the point where we have talked about this movie as long as it is. <laughs> um, yeah, which was our... Yeah, I don't know if we <laughs> talked about that. The, the Christmas Vacation episode uh-huh. has the same running time as the actual movie nice <laughs> which is the which is the first time that's happened on a podcast so no it is not uh, <laughs> <laughs> that i remembered uh all right moving on uh so i thought this was cool sally's picky and crazy eating habits were put into the movie after director rob reiner saw screenwriter Nora efron ordering her food in the same way sally does in the film when reiner brought this up efron stated i just want it the way i want it a line which was put into the movie Years after the movie came out, when Efron was on a plane and ordered something very precise, the stewardess looked at her and said, have you ever seen the movie When Harry Met Sally? <laughs> I love that she orders that way. I just have yeah. to say it. I, and, and it is that way of like, I want it the way I want it. Mm-hmm. And I also love that Harry, while when he first meets her, doesn't like mm-hmm. it. Right. But you can tell, and, and he even says it at the end. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. <laughs> right. But right. then when he's like talking to Bruno Kirby, when they're on that like double date, he's like, mm-hmm. she always orders the best thing on the menu and she orders mm-hmm. it in a way that even the chef didn't know it could be that good. <laughs> right. Which I think yeah, that's is a just great precious. line. Great line. Although yeah. I do love, I love when she's on the airplane and she goes, do you have Bloody Mary mix? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> let me tell you what I want. I right. want you to, <laughs> which sounds delicious, what she describes, mm. with the right. lime on the side. Yeah. I love the first time, when they, the very first time she orders, and she's like, I want the, you know, we talked about the, in the intro, the apple pie. I want the apple pie, but when it heated up, but I don't want the ice cream on that, but I want it on the side. But I want it to be strawberry, strawberry. instead Not of vanilla. vanilla. But if you don't have strawberry, then I don't want it at all. Then just whipped cream. Just but whipped cream. only if but it's not, real stuff. If not, not the then, I, then I, yeah. yeah. But only if it's real whipped cream. If you don't have that, then nothing. Right. Not even the pie. No, still the pie, but not heated. Right. And the lady just, okay, like, who, okay. who's this crazy one that just came to my table? She got yeah. spit in her food. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can imagine being a server being like, mm-hmm. no. No, I'm not oh, yeah. doing this. Right, right. You're at a diner gonna, where the most expensive thing is five dollars. Right. I'm You're, gonna come back. I'm gonna come back with a non-heated piece of pie and say, "Sorry, ladies, what we got." Uh, yep. And then my other favorite, which is real subtle, and I don't, I don't remember if this is. It's one of the diner scenes where they're eating, and if you if you pay attention, she's taking her sandwich apart and re-putting. Like she's, <laughs> she takes both. She takes the top piece of bread off and she's peeling pieces of the meat off. Mm-hmm. And then she like makes a smaller sandwich from the sandwich that was given to her, which then makes me think that she ordered it that way or did they mess the order up and she changed it while she was sitting there. At but least I just... she doesn't like send it back. Right, right. <laughs> right. I think that would make her unacceptable. She mm-hmm. sent her food back. But yeah, she's just, it's just adorable yeah. watching her order. Yeah, because she's not because she's not a jerk about it. You know what I'm no. saying? Like you've got those people that are just condescending that like, you know, that that are, you know, that are jerks when they order food. Uh, huh? With my wife being in the food industry, we have these discussions on a regular basis. But anyway, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> no, I, no, if I were a server, I would spit in her food, most likely. Mm-hmm. 
Um, right. Which is why probably wouldn't, industry. I wouldn't be in that industry. <laughs> but, right. but she's so funny. She's yeah. so funny. And and it's subtle. And it's I think it's in a way that maybe of the list of people that you mentioned, maybe Elizabeth Perkins could have done the same thing. Yeah. Although yeah. she would not have been quite as adorable doing it. No, she wouldn't have been. She, she would, would have had that. Yeah. That she would have come across a little more, a little more stern. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because um, she does have that kind of, even in Big, she kind of has that kind of. Yeah, I mean, even in her. Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, where mm-hmm. she's like, they've got like halo angel lighting all around her, <laughs> and Vaseline scrubbed on the lenses of those cameras. <laughs> she's still very stern and just, mm-hmm. like, but not that there's anything wrong with that. No, no, it's just that's not what I like about the character mm-hmm. Sally. Is she is confident? She knows what she wants. Mm-hmm. Even when she's the less confident version of herself, she knows what she wants. Right, right. And, oh, I do have to mention one scene. I just Go remembered. For it. No, that's what we're here for. In that uh, diner scene, that very first one. Yeah. And they're talking about Sheldon. Yes. It's like, so why'd you break <laughs> up with Sheldon, the wonder? Right, bird? right. And she said. She goes, well, if you must know, it's because of these days of the week underpants that I thought were mm-hmm. so cute, but he had such a big problem with it. Like, well, why did you break up? Well, he was, he always wanted to know, where's Sunday? What happened to Sunday? Where'd you leave Sunday? And I told him and he didn't believe me. Well, what is it? They don't make Sunday because of God. <laughs> and that's and one Harry's of my favorite. And Harry's face is perfect. He's like, she's okay. she's so sincere. Just, mm-hmm. Because of God. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and any time, because, I mean, I've got little girls, and so we they have Days of the Week underpants. And mm-hmm. I've seen Days of the Week underpants. And it's just any time I see Sunday, I'm like, they shouldn't make Sunday. <laughs> because, because of God. Of God. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my goodness. I love it. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh So I thought this was interesting. In order to get into the lonely mindset of Harry when he was divorced and single, Crystal actually stayed by himself in a separate room from the cast and crew while they were shooting in Manhattan. So he got got a little uh, method acting there. Uh, So two quick blurbs. Uh, Speaking of uh, Baby Fishmouth, the (laughs) win-loser-draw scene was entirely improvised. So I can see that. Yeah, so Reiner... (laughs) Reiner, Yeah. Resembling yeah. anything. Yeah. <laughs> I've said that. And I don't even know if I meant to be quoting that movie, but like playing mm-hmm. Pictionary with somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, set, just draw something resembling anything. <laughs> anything. Yeah. Apes. Planet of the Apes. Baby. Right, baby. Baby ape. We are away from apes. We said apes is not a. Baby fish mouth. Baby yeah. fish mouth. Right. Oh my goodness! Uh, so yeah, saying Rob Reiner gave her, told her the clue was baby talk, and just shot the whole thing with them, you know, totally guessing. So which I thought was great. <laughs> Funny. I mean, we've all been. I, I I'm not a Pictionary person, so I I also understand her frustration of being like, I don't know what else to draw. Right, right. He was like, yeah. And it was funny because it had been a while since I'd seen it, and she was drawing. I was like, it's baby talk. It's got to be baby talk because. There's lips and there's arrows coming yeah. out of the lips, meaning that she's talking. So I could understand what this is. So 
But what? I I'm, I missed the game show win lose or draw. That was one of my favorite games. I'm, you're probably oh, don't remember I it. I don't. No. Yeah, that I'm was so a that was a big big hit. That was Vicky Lawrence, uh, Mama from Mama's oh, Family. Like she Lawrence. was. I don't think she was the host, but she was on it a lot. She might have been like one of the producers or whatever, but she was hilarious. It was oh, it was so much fun. Anyway, uh, we talked about the scene with Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher in the bed and Harry and Sally both make the phone call. So for the scene, Rob Reiner explains we had three different sets, one where Bruno and Carrie were, a separate set where Billy was, and a third set where Meg was. It was all on the same soundstage. It's almost like doing a recording in a studio. The phones were all hooked up to each other because there are no cuts. If you notice, if somebody makes a mistake and it's a three to four page scene, you can't cover it. You can't cut away to anything else. You have to do it over and over again. So how many times did they try to get it right? He said they shot it 61 times. Oh, no. Yeah, if you remember at the end, they hang up the phone, boom, 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 in rhythm. It took forever to get it right. He said we. He said we did one... I think it was 54, and we did it. They hung up the phones perfectly. Then Bruno blew his last line, and we had to start all over again. Oh, Bruno. <laughs> we don't talk about now, Bruno. Bruno. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was I, that was fascinating. I was like, I, I, I love that scene, just the visual of it, but I didn't think about how they were able to film that to get to get it right. If it was filmed in you know, three different locations and they had to splice it together. He's like, no, we, we built a soundstage with all three of those set pieces That's and had them do it live. So, well, I, I, I listened to um, the office ladies podcast and I oh, love yeah, yeah. when they talk about, you know, filming scenes where people are on the phone because there's several different ways you can do it. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, either there's a person on the other end, like reading the lines to you right. and that they right. filmed. She said, but there were some times where we had to do it simultaneously mm-hmm. and we were literally calling each other <laughs> and that just sounds so complicated mm-hmm. and it it's something where looking at it it seems simple the camera never moves mm-hmm. but at the same time like when you start breaking down all that went into doing that scene it's impressive yeah 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 again and in this fluffy movie <laughs> Some very impressive yeah. filming. Oh, on. yeah, yeah. Which makes me wonder if they did the same thing with the split screen of them watching Casablanca. Oh, if that was on one yeah. one stage and had them together. Which was a little easier to get to, to do because you had multiple shots. You know, did the front shots and the back shots. So, All right, last little piece of trivia. And uh, so the script initially ended with Harry and Sally remaining friends and not pursuing a romantic relationship because Efron said she felt that was, quote-unquote, the true ending, and Reiner agreed. But during production... Studio note. <laughs> nope. A crew member introduced Reiner to photographer Michelle Singer, who he would later marry. He Aww. fell in love so hard that he changed the ending. Having Harry and Sally stay together after all, Reiner and Billy Crystal wrote new dialogue for the final scene to make it all make sense. I will say that line, that little monologue that mm-hmm. Billy Crystal has at the end... Mm-hmm. Did you ever watch the show Scrubs? Yes, I did. Did you ever see the episode where it was Carla's brother yes. and he's like feeding her lines? Yes. And it's that. I always think of that mm-hmm. when that scene happens. But it is genuinely just a sweet. Because, I mean, when you love somebody, mm-hmm. that's how it is. Yeah. Like, 
you love that stuff that ir- that if it were anybody else, it would mm-hmm. irritate the snot out of you. <laughs> right. But I think Billy but, Crystal, I think he improvised the last line of when you know you love someone, you know, when you know you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want that moment to start as soon as possible. Or I think I butchered the uh, line, but it's something like that. But it's yeah. a great line. But he was, that was, beautiful. that was totally improvised on the spot. So. It's so sweet. And it, you know, and if you hear his love story with his wife, mm-hmm. he basically, he saw her on the beach and he said, I'm going to marry that girl. <laughs> and they've been married ever since. Mm. And she's supported him through, like, they got married before he ever started acting. Okay. Like, while he was still pursuing baseball. Oh, yeah. As a oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so... It's just, it's really, he knows what it's like to love someone truly. Mm-hmm. And so to know that he improvised that line, it makes me think that he was probably thinking about oh, for sure. his wife that he's still married yeah, to. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And they've been married for 40-something, maybe more years. Yeah, yeah. Because he's got a couple of sons, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. He's got several children. Um because that was something he talked about when he started pursuing stand-up comedy. He would be a stay-at-home dad during the day mm-hmm. while his wife went to work. And then he would go out at clubs, night. clubs, yeah, and do this comedy. The clubs. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, read 700 Sundays. It's beautiful <laughs> and you will cry. Add it to the list. Add it to the list. Yes. All right, well, let's talk about... It's a quick read. Okay, good. Well, let's talk about box office and critical reception and we'll wrap this episode up. Uh, Billy Crystal was worried that the film would flop at the box office because it was up against several blockbuster films in the summer of 89, like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Ghostbusters 2. The film opened in early July and went into wide release on July 21st, 1989, grossing $8.8 million in 775 theaters in its first weekend of national release. It opened in third place, which is not, not bad, behind Lethal Weapon 2 and Tim Burton's Batman. The film later expanded to a thousand to over a thousand theaters and ultimately grossed $92.8 million in North America, well above its $16 million budget. So it did very well. And they, they talked about how they um they opened they started in small theaters and would like for over a couple of weeks they would add a few more theaters because they wanted the word of mouth to be what drove the movie instead of trying to pay for advertising to, to beat out the blockbusters that were spending more money. Uh, but it seemed to work. I think it got, you know, of course, it, it did much better in uh, the fall, later that year when it hit VHS and, you know, home rental. It became even even more successful. But uh, For critical reception, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 91% on the tomato meter with an 89% audience score. And then, I've never seen this, IMDb... 7.6 out of 10 with a 76 on Metacritic. But like every other movie, Metacritic is never over like 60. Like it's always like 55. Yeah. Okay. So, fine. but that it was that it's 7.6 and a 76 with audience that and critics. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. But it's definitely more Rotten Tomatoes, which most of our, we always say it is. Uh, yeah, 91% is pretty good for me. It's it's definitely a, oh, yeah. it's definitely the A category for me. It's not a perfect movie. Like I said, it could be trimmed yeah. in some areas, but it's still in the top. It's a nine out of ten. Yeah, movie. it's a, it's solid nine yeah, out of ten. It's a it's a top top five romantic comedy, top five movie movie all yeah 
all over, to be honest, for me. Mm -hmm. It's one of those where I, it's like how I am with Steel Magnolias. Mm -hmm. I just put it on and it makes me feel good. And I know what's going to happen. It's a comfort movie. Mm -hmm. It's like a, when you're not feeling good, it's like a warm blanket Mm -hmm. and a bowl of soup. There you go. Yeah. But a great episode. Anything you want to add before we wrap it up all the way up? I can't think of anything to add about When Harry Met Sally. It's just a great movie. If you've never seen it, I'm sorry we've ruined the whole movie for you. <laughs> Why did you listen to an hour and a half of people talking about a movie you've never seen? Right. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying don't listen to this podcast. I'm saying listen to it. Go watch the movie. Listen to it again. You'll enjoy it more. Yeah, exactly. You'll understand. You'll get all the inside jokes. I mean, you know, why <laughs> why be on the inside? Why be on the outside when you be on the inside with the jokes? So, exactly. uh, but yeah, I, it's you know, I thought about a Valentine's Day episode that this was you know like I said it was going to be this or say anything, and because we just did Better Off Dead uh, with John Cusack, I was like, well, I'll do When Harry Met Sally, and I'm glad I did. It's it's fantastic. It's it's a great movie. Uh, yeah. So this Valentine's Day. If you even if you've seen it before and you listen to the podcast and it spurred some of those emotions back up, you know it's on HBO Max. If you don't want to go out and find it anywhere else, and you or can just stream come it over there. to our house, we have it on the we have it on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have HBO Max. It's kind of funny you asked me if I watched it on DVD. I'd started watching it on DVD in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and then I moved into the living room, and I was like, I wonder if it's streaming somewhere. <laughs> so I watched right. it on both HBO Max and DVD. <laughs> there you go. You got both the both both experiences, so good deal. All right, well, thanks everybody for tuning into this episode. We appreciate all the love and support. Don't forget to follow us on all the social medias. Tell your friends and family, all the other '80s movies fans that you know about the podcast, and share the share this episode with four other people, and so they know that we're out there. And uh, we appreciate all the support. So, thanks Bethany for being a part. Always, always a treat to have the Bethany Wells on the podcast. <laughs> And if you're interested in me talking about another Valentine's Day movie, there will be a Moving Panels episode released on February 14th. I will not reveal what the episode (laughs) will be about, but it is going to be an extremely fun. Laramie is less than thrilled. The movie that I have chosen for Valentine's Day. So if if you just love hearing me talk and laugh loud, Mm -hmm. go check out Moving Panels as well. Yeah, go back and listen to last year's Valentine's episodes because those were a lot of fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're going to wrap it up. I appreciate everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Hey, and while you're there, be sure to check out the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback. You're still here?
It's over. Go home. Go.